Hey guys, welcome to the Detour Live again. Uh, we're ready to repack it. more carnage at the Giro. I'm joined as <laughs> by four-time National Road title winner Johnny Trevorrow and Olympic gold medalist Scotty McGorry. Fellas, where do we start? I suppose before we get to the carnage, um, geez, a close finish. You called the winner, Scotty. I did, but that's, yeah, he was the favourite by a fair bit anyway, wasn't he? But look how close that was. Um, and you do feel for Saga, and we, you know, we've all, I think we all feel the same here, that he's trying to get that win, hasn't had a win for a year. But Arnold Demar, the French champ, just got him on the line. And then, uh, you know, Ballerini in uh, third place, so good ride by him as well. But Sagan, his team did an incredible job. It was a really interesting stage. I, you know, I watched the whole thing live and thought, wow, this is you know, far more interesting than I was expecting it to be. We didn't get the breakaway that, that Whitey said yesterday might happen. You, know, you were talking up Thomas DeGent, Dan, about uh, perhaps getting on him if he's get, to get into a breakaway. Yeah, um, dumb it, though. But Bora just drove it over the Cat 3 climb to try and get rid of the sprinters. They got rid of two of them. So Viviani went out the back and Gaviria. But Damar was fine. So he hung on. He was still there. Viviani got back, and then the chase to get Gaviria back into the group for the sprints was amazing. They got to 15 seconds off the back and then blew. So then mm. it became a, a sprint between Damar Sagan, um, Ballerini, and, and the guys. Viviani got back and, and finished fifth, so good ride by him. But Sagan, he went early. He went into the, the windy side of the sprints. You know, he had to fight behind the wheel of Arnold Damar, which is really interesting because he had a lead-out train. So Sagan and everybody else were fighting for the rear wheel of Damar. And it was kind of like maybe think about um, Mario Cipollini back in the day when Seiko were doing the lead out. Chippo always had this great ride all the way to the sprint. Everyone else was fighting for Chippo's wheel. And it was a little bit like that last night. Sagan had to fight for, uh, for Damar's wheel. And that just cost him. I reckon just that little bit of extra energy he has to, uh, to waste probably cost him the two centimetres he needed. Well, he yeah. took it pretty well in his post-race interview. He's a snippet of that. Well, I did my best, you know, and uh, sprint is like that. Sometimes I won a lot of times for a few centimetres. Sometimes I lose. It's, uh, it's like that. It's just like that, Ify. See, that's a better attitude instead of blaming. <laughs> him, oh, if this had happened, if that had happened, maybe you should have been a little bit more no like iffy. Sargon, John. He's no Ify, is he? No. Um, <laughs> No, De Demar was the man, uh, the man. Yeah. But uh, as I said, uh, Scotty, no, well, well picked. Uh, I thought they would have uh, really that that hill would have been much more decisive. And um, but uh, and and they tried. I mean, uh, you know, Sagan had his uh, Bora boys on the boring along on the front, but it wasn't enough to get rid of Demar. Um, and as we always say on every episode, keep the comments coming. I was, I was starting to stress because uh, Wendy hadn't sent a comment, but she's reassured oh, me. Good. Hi, guys. I'm here. So, hey, Wendy. <laughs> um, now, obviously, there was a lot of carnage. Uh, the wean dog, he went down. He hit a uh, stray bottle. I mean, have you seen a, a start to a grandy where stray bottles have taken out so many riders so early? It's bottle gate. Yeah. The wean dog. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, but it's all been – so this one was um, – he, he just went – he got a bottle from one of his staff members on the side of the road, and as he was going to put it back into his cage, he hit a stray bottle. So he was one-handed. He, he might have been okay if he had both hands on the bars. It was just one of those racing incidents. Yeah. Um, so that was a shame for him. But it's what a, what a coincidence that it's a couple of bottles that have taken guys out. And I know you mentioned um, the wean dog, Peter Veening, on the show last night. Mm. Um, but isn't it interesting – He's 39, 
and he's riding at the Giro this year for Trek Seeker Fredo after doing the transfer mid-season, which is quite unusual for a 39-year-old. I'd actually like to, to maybe on the rest day, Dan, you could um, yeah Peter to come on because it'd be good to hear his story because uh, I reckon that's great. Well, he just had a, a kid this year as well. Um, so he's a father. He's obviously thinking, well, you know, might as well go back to the well and earn a bit more bank. <laughs> he's probably got a few expenses coming up. But Wayne Dog was amazing the way he used to train. So in the off-season, as soon as the last race was done, he'd give himself four to five weeks where he could just let his hair down, drink as many beers as he wanted. You know, one year they used to always give the Dutch riders um, free trip to Curacao in the um, – uh, I think it's those group of islands that are owned by Holland uh, in the Caribbean. And, mate, all expenses paid. Yeah, it was awesome. Sagan went there one year with his brother and they give you like a, a per diem, 2,000 euros just to spend on grog, basically. Um, but I used to say to Wee Dog, like, you know, a lot of other riders, like, they don't really let their hair down. He said, ah, it's rubbish. You know, it's not sustainable. You know, you've got to have a, a time to just reset. But he goes, I tell you, when I train... I train harder than anyone. Like, I don't know anyone that trains as hard as me, and he just smashes himself. So, you know, um, Johnny was used to do the same thing, but not the smashing himself in the in the training. So, um, well, John, John, you'd know, um, well, the story's about Alan Piper. You know, we know, we, we always refer to Alan as just like the, the ultimate professional's professional back in the day. But the stories I heard about Al was that at the end of the season, and it, well, I heard he told me this, at the end of the season, he would be super strict on his diet through the off-season. And for the first week or so, he would do a complete detox where he'd just have uh, like a juice diet for five or six days or something just to completely strip the body of all the toxins that he'd built up over the season. And then was super strict on his diet because back in his time, you didn't have a chef travelling to the Grand Tours with your team. You just ate whatever they had at the restaurants. Um, So you had to basically just, you know, if you wanted to be a vegan, too bad you can't because you have to just eat what they gave you at the hotel. So in the off-season, was the only time he could be absolutely 100% about what he wanted to put in his body and fuel himself. So he's probably thinner, fitter and leaner in his off-seasons than he was during the actual <laughs> racing season. Yeah, but he was like a fanatic. Joint. He was a fanatic on the food. He he uh, he was a vegetarian for a lot of his uh, uh, career. Uh, he said he had to start eating meat because he couldn't get the right food uh, um, during the season. But but mostly he was a vegetarian. And uh, old Prof Brotherton uh, uh, used to look after him. Um, uh, you know, from from uh, he was a an English olympian who came out here and stayed in, in australia but he was a, a fanatic as well and he was one of the he was a guru and he actually uh, put uh, uh, um alan on the path of a, a lot of that uh, uh different lifestyle who did well, you have looking after you john putting you on your path were you mm. like what were you like in the off season Sid Patterson. My father, my father used to be used to try and put me down the path, but I kept taking the wrong turns. <laughs> but remember as well, Scotty, in 09, there was that revolution with Garmin when they'd only eat white meat. It was like fish or chicken. And it was like, oh, this is unbelievable. No you know, pasta, you... just rice. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. A lot of uh, myths going around there. Uh, now we've got a few people saying g'day as well. Gary, how are you, mate? Hi, Dan Ify and Scooter. And uh, Sheila's back in. From good morning, all from New Orleans, USA. And uh, we had an issue. One of our episodes, the one yesterday, got blocked from YouTube. So we're going to re upload without the wean dog, I think, the vision from 2014, third umpire, 
red light. So we'll, we'll bounce back. Uh, now, that, other... do, do you know what the back story is there, Dan? Like how are they finding that kind of footage? Like, it wasn't very long. Algori- algorithm. So a lot of the races will put in like the vision and it just scans. And as soon as it finds the match, all right, that's it, you're done. So I think that backstage was taken down as well. Um, which, you know, you've got fair use. I mean, we're using it for um, commentary purposes. Uh, we're, we're essentially a news service. Um, Absolutely. But it takes a process. You've got to go through, like, you've got to dispute when it comes down, all this sort of stuff. So we'll just re-upload it without the wean dog in it. But also there was a lot of drama with the helicopter that blew the barricade. Now, this has happened a few times yeah. before. I remember at Tour of Beijing one year, um, the barricade cleaned up a whole heap of riders, and that took out Luca Wackerman and uh, Etienne Van Empel. Now, Wackerman was taken to hospital in Messina by ambulance, uh, and it was later reported that he had multiple injuries in the crash, including concussion, suspected lombosgyral, that sounds about right, fracture, and a broken nose. So this opens up a bit of a Pandora's box, boys. You're both uh, on the back end of organising events. Uh, who's responsible John is. Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you're blaming me or you're asking me. I'm not sure. It's got it. no, what uh, happened to you? <laughs> I didn't do it. What you do? Um, obviously, uh, the, the chopper came down too low. And, and Wardy actually sp- mentioned it too. They're trying to get into really uh, clever shots and they're getting coming down too low, too close. Uh, and you can't do that. I can remember it was a tour of Poland uh, a couple of years ago. There was a crash because the chopper just came down really low to, to the bunch and uh, uh, guys went off the road everywhere. So it's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, at, before... the, at the Sun Tour one year, sorry, Dan, um, Sun yeah. Tour, as you come into Mansfield, there's a, a section of the road where the, the road sort of just drops down and goes down this hill for, and it's really straight. And the, we could see the chopper right down in front of us. And it's like, oh, and I remember thinking, oh, that's a really cool you know, spot to be. This will be a great shot. But as we got closer, we realised he was too low and the peloton just went woof off the road, just blew everybody all over the place. And they were told, uh, uh, yeah, nice shot, but nah, get out of the way. Now, you know, Wackerman was asked, it was his, it's his, um, he's 28, it was his uh, Giro debut. But they asked him, you know, if he knew where he was, et cetera. He didn't know um, that he'd crashed and he didn't know that he was riding the Giro. So this oh, is wow. day four, day four, and he didn't know at first that he's even riding the Giro. Yeah, that's not good. Um, but what, how long till they just use drones? You know, if you get drones that can have pretty good battery life, you don't need helicopters to do a lot of this stuff. It won't be long before they just take them out altogether. Oh, you'd need long battery, though, wouldn't it? If you've got a four, five, six-hour stage, you know. Yeah, but those, mili- those military drones, they've got the technology. Just just take, talk, to, take, yeah. talk to Trump. He'll, he'll sling you a couple for the coverage yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he'll give you the codes as well. You could take a few, you could take the breakaway out if you're not, uh, not able to catch <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. That's right. Um, and also on the backstage, I liked uh, Simon Yates. Uh, he seemed in pretty good spirits on the back of his uh, dreadful stage streak. A bit of a disaster, really, but hey, that's cycling. That's how it goes. Uh, you win some, you lose some. Uh, we'll, we'll keep looking away. Um, we'll see. Maybe not today, because I, I think it's going to be a sprint. <laughs> I mean, I could try, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, there's still a long way to Milan. I know that's a, that's, that's a bit of a cliche, but um, no, we'll see. Now, that's always good. Just get the rider the next day. Don't try and get the interview that night. Let them process it. Next day, digest it all. We're right. We've still got three weeks. So, he's in good spirits. 
Um, I think we should get straight into the chat with Matt White. Uh, we spoke to him earlier today, uh, and he was on the bus. They've had some monster transfers, so it gives us a few insights into that as well. Sports Director Matt White, you're on the bus, mate. Got yourself a nice brew. Yeah, mate. She's early morning this morning. She's 7 7.30 in the morning. Uh, we're leaving before 8 o'clock, so we've got a um, bit of a transfer to the start. And then uh, a mega day today, 225 kilometres plus 10K neutral. 4,000 metres plus of climbing, and then a nice little transfer after the stage of the hotel. So, assume you're 12 or 13 hours door to door, I reckon. Uh, are you, is, is, uh, do you have to go over on the ferry this morning, or did you go over last night? No, no, we uh, we caught the ferry last night. So, we got to the ho- hotel pretty late last night. Um, there was a couple of incidents in the final yesterday uh, with some crashes with some other teams. And so, the, the, where the ferry was booked for just specifically for the, uh, for the teams. And we got stuck at the terminal a little, a little for a little while. Got to the hotel at about nine o'clock last night. Boys went to uh, went to straight, uh, got a massage, and went to dinner and then off to bed. I just on that crash, I saw um, cycling news. Brent Brookwater was talking about like it almost cleaned him up uh, with the yep. helicopter, and and you know there needs to be a little bit more responsibility. We always talk about rider safety, but um, what do you think the fallout of of that incident is going to be? Uh, I'm not sure how civil liability cases go down here in Italy, but uh, that, that was a messy one, eh? That, that, that helicopter had been, um, had been, I'd seen during the first few stages, had done some pretty risky moves. It's just a little, bit, not, a little bit too close to the bunch, trying to get mm. the arty shots in the valley. But uh, I didn't see the incident, but I just heard that he came a bit too low and the wind that he created um, blew the barricades into a couple of riders and uh, and took out one rider quite uh, quite seriously. Yeah, it's bloody filthy. Um, but anyway, the stage profile today, mate, uh, what, what are you expecting? Uh, a nasty start. So it goes uphill for two to three kilometres straight out of the holes. And then if the break hasn't gone in that first five minutes, it, it could go for a long time. And uh, I'd expect a big group to go down the road today because there's uh, you know, so many guys off general classification. We haven't got a strong leader at the moment. The young fellow who's winning uh, is not an overall GC threat, I wouldn't have thought. And uh, Quickstep haven't got the team that could bring uh, bring a bring 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 a big break back today on that sort of course. So <laughs> the, uh, the idea for us is that is to put uh, put someone at least in the breakaway. Ideal, ideally for us, uh, Jack Haig would be the man. Uh, he lost uh, a little bit of time in the running you saw yesterday. That was a deliberate move, so he'd get a little bit more off general classification. So he's not a uh, he's not a direct threat to uh, you know, if if he's at three or four minutes, then those GC teams, you know, he has got a good history of climbing. That they see him as a threat. But now I think he's at eight minutes. Now he uh, he should be pretty safe to uh, join a big group uh, in that first hour of racing today. Is uh, today a bit of a chance for, for a bit of redemption for Simon? I mean, uh, to see how he's going in, in that final climb because it's uh, normally it'd be right up his uh, up his alley. Oh, look, I think if we can manage, if Simon can finish with the the best climbers behind today, I'll, I'll be pretty happy. I think uh, we've got a couple more days after today uh, to, you know, to to regroup and and before the the real the real tough stuff starts again on stage nine. But uh, I'll just, if if he can finish with the likes of Nibbly and Fool's Gang, it, it, it's a long climb today. It's not super tough. 
I think it's 18 kilometers long, but uh, it averages around about 5%. So I I don't expect too much fireworks in the second part of the race. You know, as in, there'll be two races today. There'll be one for the win, uh, and there'll be then there'll be a GC battle. And uh, I think uh, if we can, if Simon can hold the wheel of the the best climbers today, I think do uh, a lot for his confidence and give us another couple of days to uh, to regroup before uh, before bigger bigger mountain stages start again. Uh, some great insights there from Whitey. Uh, what what do you reckon, Scotty? Uh, looking at that stage preview. Um, well, the, yeah, the first thing is the just the transfers. The Giro is, is notorious for these massive transfers. Obviously, they had to get across from Sicily to to the boot, and they're now in the in the toe of the boot um, on the mainland. Um, but this happens all the way through the the Giro. There's really big transfers, and that does take a, a toll on the riders eventually. They probably shouldn't be too bad or too fatigued from just that transfer for today. But eventually, it will. Like another six, seven, eight, you know, ten, twelve days, it makes the Giro really, really brutal. Um, what a terrible way to start a bike race 2k straight uphill um now for the good guys that's not going to matter but for you know, the sprinters and some of the domestiques the guys that are already a long way behind there's nothing worse than, than starting straight uphill you just hope that everybody takes it easy until they get over the top of that first little um, pinch but they won't because it's such a good opportunity for breaks to go so i think it's going to be it's going to be really hard it's going to be tough the climb is big so 23ks or so Average um, gradient's not so bad, but the middle section, there's about 5Ks where, you know, it's between 6 and uh, 9% and one kilometre over 11%. So that's that's hard. Um, and what's going to be really exciting is the descent. If Nibali's right there and he's feeling good, you know, watch out for Vincenzo Nibali on the descent, trying to put everybody else under pressure coming into the finish. That could be really dangerous. Mm. Well, here's part two of our chat with Matt White earlier today. Hey, Waddy, how are the staff holding up? I mean, it is pretty taxing when you've got these late transfers, particularly with the mechanics and Swanniers and with the early starts today. How are they all travelling? They're good, mate. It's early days. It's early days. But uh, no, they're good. We've got the, the, the big chunk of our staff here uh, are Italian. And obviously, it's uh, it's their race. They love it. And... Uh, uh, they're, they're really motivated. They're really motivated. It'll, it'll drag on a little bit in that third week, as it always does. But uh, no, the staff are going well. And uh, this is this is an early morning uh, today. But uh, yeah, it's if you don't if you're not into this sort of work, uh, then you're in the wrong gig. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, what was on the menu last night, mate? Uh, I had swordfish again last again? night. Again, yeah, mm-hmm. double up on swordfish. This it was a much better dish. Uh, not not raw, but very well cooked uh, swordfish last night, and uh, some very tasty local pasta dish. So pretty standard, pretty standard. It was a late one last night. I had dinner about ten o'clock, ten thirty. But uh, that's why that's why I'm, I'm having a cup of tea for breakfast. I'm still digesting last night's dinner. <laughs> How does the body go with eating so much pasta when you're not used to it? it can sort of clog people up. Oh, mate, I, I uh, go pretty sparingly on the pasta, but I just have uh, I don't eat as big a breakfast the next morning. I did I did, uh, didn't get a chance to run or walk this morning because it was pitch black and we're on the side of a mountain. But a uh, little bit, little bit of gym this morning. But usually I get out for a run or a walk, and uh, it's a good way to start the day after you're just still digesting last night's dinner. <laughs> is it an early start today as well? Is it earlier start or is it just the drive? Y- yeah, it is. It is because. Uh, as as you know, there we're we're in autumn now. And we're running out of daylight, so these mm. these long stages, 
if we if we started them at twelve o'clock, twelve thirty in the day, uh, they'd finish. They could yeah, potentially finish at six six or seven o'clock at night, and it's getting dark. So the, the stage is starting a little bit earlier, and uh, we've got a little bit of transfer either end. All right, well, hang in there, mate. Uh, enjoy the day today, and yeah, as you said, Jack Haig. I think the bookies have got him as second favourite, so um, I think they're all expecting him to put in a good ride. So fingers crossed really? it all worked out. Yeah, second favourite. Yeah, okay, it's wide so, open. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, no, it'd be good. If we get uh, a big group, if uh, if Jack was in there, it'd be an ideal scenario. And if it's big enough, then someone like Cam Meyer, Damien Housen in there with him would be uh, would be great. Yeah. All right. Well, all the best today, mate. And thanks for joining us again. And good luck with the transfer. Yep. Uh, it's, you know, the Giro, mate, you just got to switch on and off. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> on and off. Yeah. Thanks, bud. Good on you, Bye, mate. Bye, gents. Have a good day. See you, mate. Bye. See you, mate. Righto, boys. I've got a podcast fishing. And uh, I'm becoming a bit of a master. I've hooked one, Matty Wilson. How are you, Matty? Good, thanks, Dan. How are you? Yeah, I'm always good, mate. Uh, where are you at the moment? You're in the Belgian Classics. Yeah, Belgian Classics. It's a um, different end of the year than it should be, but it's the same temperature, eight degrees outside, uh, nice and chilly. Oh, yeah. You've been nicking into those triple fried frits? I have indulged in a foot or two, yes, a couple of doobles. As <laughs> uh, a squad for the classics at the moment? Yeah, look, not too bad. Obviously, very disrupted um, build-up um, for a very special year in that in that regard. Um, our, our best guy, Durbo, was really concentrating on the TT world, so he's got a, a bit of um, endurance space to catch up on um, before next week. But, you know, we're here at Brabant Pal today, and we've got a really young squad um, but they're very motivated, um, and they're coming up against probably the best field ever seen at Brabham's Pale. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Joachim, and he said that, that there's a bit of an issue with uh, obviously the spread of COVID. Um, I think a few people are quite concerned that you know it may get to the point where they can't race again. Is there much chatter about um, the COVID situation over in Belgium at the moment? Um, oh, look, the races have got really, really strict protocols. Um, they had a big meeting about it last night and the stuff that they're putting in place. So the races are doing all they can. Um, as far as the general public goes, I mean, I'm not, I'm not following the news here and the, the newspaper, so I'm not sure, you know, what the, what the feeling is. Uh, yep. Just We've, yeah, you let... With Belgian Wi-Fi, that, that's a bigger issue than COVID at the moment. Can you hear us, mate? Hey, your audio's just cut out. You there? He's just adjusting his microphone. Can you hear us, Matty? It's just no? on the fly, mate. Good, hey, good pickup, though, getting a, ride, a, a DS last second. Yeah. Um, now it looks like uh, Matty's face is frozen. Can you hear us? Yeah, we can hear you. It's all working again. Yep, if he, yep. yeah, I got you. Yeah, so it's uh, get Webble game uh, uh, on the weekend. Um, so the Belgian races seem to be going okay, but I hear there's a strong rumor going around that uh, Paris Bay might uh, get cancelled. Yeah, well, Roubaix is a um, a hot spot at the moment, and obviously Paris is is in semi lockdown now as well. Um, but the, the race starts a fair way out of uh, Paris, so I don't think that's a concern, but I think the finish in Roubaix is a concern. Obviously, the crowds, keeping the crowds away is a concern. So mm. let's see which way it goes. Um, 
you know, the ASO shown with the, with the Tour de France, they can do a good job and we've obviously got a lot of power in France. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, Matty, how's everyone going mentally knowing that um, normally this time of year, you're really sort of winding things down in October. Um, how, how's everyone holding up given the, the big change in the season? Yeah, different, different guys seem to be reacting to it different ways. Some um, really, uh, really, um, you know, stepping up. They can see the opportunities here. They've been building up to this, and it's and it's, it's the classics, and they're excited. And the end of end of season races are still some of the biggest goals. So um, those guys are adapting well. And then there's guys that are really you can see the cracks appearing, um, and they they really do look like it's October. So mm. um, depends on the rider. Yeah. Um, what about we had. What- Matty, yeah. what about uh, the, the logistics of being such a condensed season? How hard is it for you and for the staff um, to try and manage, you know, so many races at the same time? Resources, you know, surely have to start going a little bit thin. Yeah, good question. It, it has been really hard on the staff. Um, you know, we're, we're creating these bubbles um, inside the races as well. So, for example, one of our Belgian soigneurs here has been, he's done the, the Dauphiné, did the Tour de France, um, basically came home for a few days and then he went to races in Belgium where ordinarily he'd go home, you know, every other day uh, and he can't because we're in a we're in a bubble here and we, we can't have outside contact. So um, it's cases like that, cases like myself where I had to go over to Europe for three months and leave my family in, uh, in Australia. Um, so everyone's everyone's having to, 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 to suck it up a bit and take one for the team and, and realise that it's a special year and just get through it. Now, yeah, said goodbye to a legend of the team, Michael Albacini. Uh, his last race was uh, Liège. Um, he's been a, an unbelievable talent for the team over over the journey, given that he was there, obviously, since its inception. Yeah, he has. It was um, yeah, a little bit emotional, actually. Gave him a big hug at the finish and um, had a couple of beers there and people got on the bus and said goodbye and, you know, and it took me back to when, when I retired as well. It's a, it's a funny thing, you know, and He's had such an amazing career. He's a big part of, you know, so many of our victories from the start and, you know, losing Daryl Limpy next year as well. You know, you, you, losing those last sort of core guys that we, we had from the beginning. So a bit sad, but, um, you know, life goes on. Well, tell the viewers the story about your last race, mate. That was an, an eventful day. Yeah, it was. I picked... Um, I picked a Hamburg, uh, sort of a mid-season race that I always enjoyed doing as my last race, and had a good group of guys there ready to go, and we're going to go out and have a bit of a bit of a celebration afterwards. And I crossed the line and sat down and cracked a beer open, and I'm wondering where everyone was. And I kept waiting and waiting, and then I found out there was a massive pile-up on the finish line, and half the guys were in hospital, um, and then two others had doping control. I was just sitting there by myself, and then we're back to the hotel room, and that was it. <laughs> uh, classic. Um, so, what, what are your chances today, mate? Uh, look, slim. Um, I'll be, I'll be honest. It's a, it's a, it's a really amazing field that they've got here. It's last race for a lot of guys. Um, and yeah, now got the world champion here, Matthew Vanderpol. So, look, there's, there's a really quality field. But like I said, we've got a young team in form and it's a really attacking sort of a race. Um, I don't know if uh, you've seen it, Dan, but it's a, it's, it's a beauty of a race. So mm. I'd expect a very exciting exciting final. Uh, well, there'll be plenty of diehard Belgies, hopefully all wearing masks and social distancing. 
But uh, yeah, no, they love it over there. So, got anything to add, Ify, before we go? Yeah. yeah. So, what, so you're doing? You going right through to uh, to um, Flanders and uh, Robay as well? No, I um I leave tomorrow and go down south and uh, head to the Vuelta. Ah, okay. Ah, okay. Yeah. Oh, gee, you got another uh, another grand tour, mate. What's the squad like for the Vuelta? Um, yeah, great. We've got uh. Oh, I don't know if it's been released yet. I don't know if I can say, actually. You nearly got me there. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, you can wait. <laughs> Taron will rip you a new one. Just say it's great. Yeah. And we've got ambitions to win life. stages. And, yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> but it's a race of three weeks. So, you know, time will tell. Exactly. Yeah. Um, just on that, just on the Vuelta, um, every year it's one of the more uh, – the Tour de France this year was incredible. It was very entertaining to watch. But the Vuelta at the end of the season every year – is very unpredictable and therefore as a fan it's very um exciting to watch i'd imagine it's probably going to be even more unpredictable it must be it's so hard for um teams to just for the riders to fill them with guys on form you know do you what are you expecting of the water yeah well much the same and look you've got the added added bit of flavor in there that the change the stages seem to be changing every week um you know there's too much too much snow on a mountain, they've got to cancel that. This town's got a lockdown, so they've got to go around that. So, you know, you throw in the fact that, you know, this race is happening in end of October into November. Um, you've got these change, stages changing. It's it's just so many unknowns. So, yeah, I'd expect a very exciting, unpredictable race. So when do you finally get back to Australia, Matty? Um, well, I, th- I think I land around the 30th of October. I leave just before the Vuelta, the last half. I don't do. Mm. Um, and then I've got, obviously, a couple of weeks there in, in quarantine. And then uh, I'll be back home. So I should be back home sort of middle of November. All right. I'll send you a list of good docos to watch. And um, there's a couple <laughs> of good series coming out at the moment. So, yeah, we'll share notes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks for joining us on the detour, Matty. Appreciate it. And all the best today, mate. No problem. And you, Matty. Uh, legend Matty Wilson. Um, we've got a few comments coming in. Uh, Jason, our mate from the Maldives, he says, Looking forward to today's stage. Could be an interesting one, particularly who's going to control the race. More likely Trek, and there will be some attacking opportunities. So that's a good point. He's spot on. He's uh, not spot on there. He knows his yep. bikes. Graham Pont, good evening, guys from Sheffield, Tasmania. Love the detour. New viewer and fully hooked. Uh, ben. Says, looks like the ASX charts for CBA since 2009. That's the stage profile. Uh, and Stuart says, when will Jack Hay get a chance to be the nominated GC contender in a Grand Tour? He seems like he has what it takes to figure at the pointy end after three weeks. That's a good question. Yeah, well. well with Bahrain. <laughs> yeah, so now he's going to Bahrain. We'll see how things develop there. You know, he, he's... Last season he was great. This year, yeah, everything's been up in the air, hasn't it? But um, he's super dedicated, very, very committed to his cycling. So we will see um, an improved Jack Hager over the next couple of years because he, he does percentage-wise just get a little bit better every season. So another two, three, four years maybe. hope so. Yep. And a quick shout-out to Jenny, uh, how are you? And Mark Watkin. Good evening from the Watt Bike Team Detour. So uh, let's... Johnny, it's your time to shine, mate. Let's give uh, Mitchell a bit of a plug, eh? Open up the shoulders. (laughs) 
They mentioned Ted Hotel, Mitchell the Winery on the beautiful banks of the Goulburn River, just out of Nagambi. And as you see in that photo, that's the, the actual hotel. Magnificent rooms with every room has a beautiful view of, of the river on either side. Wonderful swimming pool there. Fantastic restaurant for, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, and, and beautiful uh, wines, of course. Mitchelton, Heathcote Shiraz is my favourite, but uh, there's enormous – they do a, uh, a beautiful rosé. Uh, they do a, a sparkling Shiraz, which is absolutely to die for. I got, I got stuck into that last week, found that very, very tasty. You've never had a sparkling Shiraz. Yeah, they do it. It's 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 uh, it's fantastic, and it's actually got like a a, a bottle top, like like a beer bottle top instead of a a, a screw top. It's a, it's yeah, a bit right. different, but it's it's very very tasty, um, and of course, it's the most beautiful part of the world. You know, just way Lake Nagambi all up there as well. So when the lockdown unlocks, get up there as soon as you can. Rural Victoria, get up there now. I was there last week. Yep. I thought Kippsland was the the most beautiful part of the world you guys would have to concur wouldn't you to give your voice it's, no. it's a lovely part of the world but uh, i just uh, no no i'm 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 hey, sold on the gambling the states yeah. we had in the herald sun tour down through there were amazing that's for sure and yeah. same yeah. up at, up around the gambling yeah. hey, I, so, I was just looking at the um sorry guys yeah. i was just looking at the start list for uh the brabant's appeal that um we just crossed to matt white uh sorry matt wilson in it is it's fairly can cracker um, some of the writers, Matthew Vanderpoel, Julian Alaphilippe, Tim Vellens, John Degenkolb, showing Dylan Toons, Roman Bardet, uh, Kwiatkowski, you know, it's Gasparotto. It's, it's, it's a full-on. It's, yeah, it's a great feel. Yeah. So that'll be a good one. Well, that's the thing with the um, condensed season. We've got so much great racing to come. Like that Super Sunday, if Roubaix goes ahead with the Giro, the Vuelta and Roubaix, all falling in on that Sunday is going to be unbelievable. So the old GCN pass, you'll be flicking. Do they do split screen? I'm going to have to buy another uh, another monitor, I think. Yeah. Another um, yeah. All right, here's a quick word from our great mates at Bike Exchange. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs, semi-amateurs, and pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank and these bars. This could be the perfect match, but not this one. This girl has a bike to sell, and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on Bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns, and rides. Uh, now, we want to say a quick cheerio to Gracie Elvin. Uh, she announced her retirement. Uh, amazing career, uh, two-time Aussie national road title winner and also the only Australian woman to end up on the podium at Tour of Flanders, which is 2017. Um, fantastic service to the sport of Australian cycling, if you. 
Oh, for sure. And I know that we're going to try and uh, get her on for a chat uh, sometime over the next couple of days, but no, she's a superstar. And uh, I was surprised she actually is giving it away because, uh, you know, she's, she thinks you have a couple of more, good more years uh, in her if you, she really wanted to, but uh, it'd be interesting to talk to her about why. Mm. Well, it, now, it also opens up the debate, John, about, um, you know, if she was like in the men's peloton earning you know, whatever, a few hundred thousand dollars a year, no doubt she would keep going. But the, the women don't get paid anything like the men, so they have to think about what the, the next career choice is going to be. So I guess that's the disparity that we see with between the men's and women's pelotons, that hopefully that they can do the career for that they want rather than you know the necessity of having to find you know something to, to go on with the rest of their life because they're not getting enough money from cycling which is the, the disappointing thing and and also like the the issue of the coverage i mean it was spoken about a couple of weeks ago but um the giro rosa how they didn't have live coverage and as a result they've been stripped of their uci rank uh rating or whatever um yeah that 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 just shouldn't happen i get that it's COVID. i get the expenses with covering things live and things like that but um, they really dropped the ball if you're on that one. Oh, yes. You're right. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Is that a dry cough? You got a fever? They didn't even notify uh, um, uh, the UCI that they were not going to have the live coverage. Uh, and that is, you know, a, a part of uh, the requirements to have a world tour race. And so they, they had no choice but to, to strip them of the world tour status for next year. Mm. Now, uh, Scotty, you sent me a video, uh, which was Amy Gillett's mother um, receiving the news that uh, they were going to be changing the Meter Matters rule uh, in Victoria. It taken a long time. So let's play the video first and then we'll have a bit of a discussion afterwards. But this is when she found out the news uh, that that law was going to be in place. Today, Minister Ben Carroll and Premier Daniel Andrews announced that a Meter Matters is being passed in Victoria. Tell me that again. I, that they, they, Ben Carroll and Minister and Dan Andrews announced um, that a meter matters is being that is being passed in Victoria. Oh, 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 oh that's a, that's a big one. Oh my gosh! Oh, look. First and foremost, congratulations to all the people who've worked so hard for this. And I'm, I'm just so thrilled because, you know, for Cyprus in Victoria, I know, I know that this legislation, it saves lives. Yeah, I feel, yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah. Yeah, really happy Dan. Yeah, it's been a long time coming for a lot of people who've worked so, so, so hard. And, uh, yeah, it's going to take a little while for that um, to sink in. Um, oh, oh. Are you okay? How are you? Yeah, I, I feel, I, you know, of course, there's so much emotion there, Dan, to hear that news. But it, there's also relief. There's also relief that this is this is actually going to happen. Yeah. Great news, Dan. Great news. Dennis is Are you there, Dennis? Where are you? Yeah, great news. Come in here. That's right. Great news, Dan. <laughs> Keep going a bit more. Great news. <laughs> Thanks, Dennis. It's, it's well done. Well done. Uh, I, um, 
Dan, I can remember, I, I can't recall the year, but um, I was in the city in Adelaide and I had a phone call from the then CEO of the foundation, who was Tracy Gordry. And she told me in that phone call that Queensland had adopted the legislation. And I, I, I couldn't, I was crying <laughs> wherever I was on the phone. I couldn't, couldn't believe it. So this is just um, the icing on the cake, Dan. Well, all I can say is I hope I can hear the cheering in my state of South Australia when that's announced for not only cyclists, but drivers as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's huge. And this is why I wanted to, to, to get you on because um, your reaction is exactly how a lot of us feel, that it's just it's overdue and it's wonderful and it's Amy's legacy and it's, it's so much. Yeah, amazing, amazing vision. Like it, it really just demonstrates the passion to, to do the right thing. And Scotty, how, how did it take so long to get that passed? Well, okay. So, as you heard, um, Victoria was the last state to pass the you know, safe passing laws. Um, and look, we know it's just common sense. You know, if you've got other people, you've got all the different road users, it just makes sense to make sure that everybody that's on the road is safe. Um, now, my understanding from an insider was that one of the main reasons that it wasn't passed is because um, the Dan Andrews government, which is Labor, um, felt that the Amy Gillett Foundation and the push for the um, for the, the, the particular particular law was something the Greens were really pushing and they didn't want to give too much to the Greens and that's why they've held back on it for so long. So it was from an insider, it was really just a political thing. Um, and in the meantime, you know, our roads are, are just not that safe. And and it's great that it's come in. So it's fantastic that it's come in. Make sure they enforce the, the, the law. That's going to be the challenge. It's really hard to actually enforce force it um, unless you are a policeman or if you're in a police car and you see someone passing a cyclist too close so that is the next challenge but i can honestly say i i i went to a race in mumbai once um and the day before i went for a ride and i was kind of reckless and i thought you know what i want to go and see mumbai so i just went out and rode on the streets of mumbai and for anyone that's been there you know what it's like if you haven't been to mumbai it is chaotic there is just so much traffic you know so many people there so it looks frightening. It looks scary. And that was my first thought. When I first got out there, though, started riding, I immediately felt safe because they don't care if it's a car or a motorbike or a truck or a, a cow or a cyclist. If you're in front of them, you're just in front of them and they'll wait until you're out of the way to go past. And I felt safer riding in Mumbai than I do in any of Australia's capital cities. And that is terrible. Mm. It's, Cultural uh... change needs to happen. Yeah, long time coming, John. Yeah, long time coming, uh, and it's it's wonderful. Uh, but and I've been on the bike a bit more of late, and I got to tell you, there's more people out around Geelong than uh, than I've seen on the bike in the past. But the one thing that that the cyclists have to really uh, take note of is that they've got to be more conscious of keeping to the left as well. Find a ride to a breast, you're allowed to ride to a breast, but there are plenty of cases where it's just not safe to ride to a breast. So you've got to go single file in lots of areas and they've got to start doing it. So they've got to, bike riders can be their own worst enemy at times. Well, does you it really do, need John? to be, yeah. Um, what, I'll, what I do, and I, I, I always, so even if I'm coming to an intersection on my own and a car 
is coming out from my left, so they have to give way to the right, which is me. Um, if they're not cycling friendly, they might be feeling frustrated that they have to wait for a cyclist to come past, right? If it was a car, of course, they'll wait because they'll stick to the road rules. But a cyclist, obviously, often they get a little bit, you know, uppity about it. So I'll just give them a little wave, just like, oh, thank you for waiting. Even though they are supposed to, it is the law and I have the right of way, I'll still just give them a little bit of a wave. Or if a truck gets no me a wave. room. Not a one finger wave. No, well, if they if they get aggro, yeah, absolutely. But um, no, if a truck if a truck comes past and gives you plenty of room, or you know, if, if they slow down to let you cross over, if you have to, any of those little things, just a nice little wave, just mm, to diffuse any tension. De escalate. Yeah. 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 Um, all right, boys, we're going to try something different for the Detour Delorean segment. Roads. Well, we're going. We don't need roads. Now, normally I fish out vision that gets us blocked on YouTube, but instead this week, uh, Johnny, you've got an unbelievable story that you told us uh, off air, but we've heard it many a times and we never get sick of it. Uh, take us back to the 2003 Giro d'Italia. Yes, it was a great tour. It was the one where uh, we, we, um, Cookie and uh, Bram McGee and Matty Wilson were, were, were riding with FDJ. And we had um, uh, Trent Wilson and Russell Van Hout riding with uh, uh, the longest name in cycling, uh, but the, the team run by Gianni Savio, my my old team boss. So anyway, a lot of Aussies there, and we had a good little motley crew uh, uh, cruising around. So I had Carl Wilson, so the, the father of one of the riders, Killer Carl, Killer Carl, uh, Tony McCafferty, Alan Lang, uh, Tim the Vet. Who uh, is a bit of a character, our, our mate Tim, and uh, is in, not a veteran cyclist, just in, in, a veterinarian, <laughs> and uh, Steve the drunk. Um, <laughs> I, like, I like how there's, there's a guy in the group called Steve the drunk, and if from the outside in, I mean, you could have been slapped with all of that in that Motley crew when they're charging the hero, but anyway. Well, you've got serious issues if your name Steve the drunk in that crew. That that's very true. That's very true. So um, yes, we, we'd already had a little. I'd broken a rib before the race even started, which wasn't a good start. But uh, so anyway, it was uh, the 8th of May. I know it because it was my birthday, and it was the rest day. And we we're down. We're on the on the Adriatic coast, a little place called um, Milano Maritima. Is a group of. It's like the Gold Coast of Italy there, just down below Venice a little bit. And uh, rest day. So we, we go and have a couple of drinks uh, with with uh, Gianni Savio and, and, and the team there. And the problem over there when you have a cocktail or anything like or, or, or a whiskey or anything, they fill it up with whiskey and just put a little bit of Coke on the top. For colour. That's fine. For colour. Yeah, so but it was a long lunch and we stagger out of there, I don't know, about four o'clock or so, and uh, the few of the team were a bit worse for wear, but we were all planned to go to it. There was a, a nightclub firing up that night. We were all planned to go to this nightclub. So in the end, only Alan Lang, uh, and Al, R.I.P. God rest his soul, was, uh, was probably well into his 70s by then. Uh, myself and so Steve. It's like, it's like Dad's Army on on some <laughs> sort of Kentucky tour. Drunken Dad's Army. <laughs> yeah. So we we go we go to this uh, this nightclub, and uh, I lose them in the nightclub for some reason. I'm at the bar and they're over chatting away, uh, and I stagger back 
it's all it's early hours in the morning it's probably four o'clock in the morning it's all downhill to our hotel the hotel lido i just remembered the name of it uh right on the water and so i, I walk in and uh i'm just hopping into bed and, and next minute carl comes up and said john john the owner has said that he's had a call as an australian journalist in hospital i said what's his name and he said Frederick Lange. I said, it must be an Austrian. <laughs> anyway, an hour or so later, a couple of hours later, uh, I get woken up and by the boys and they said, there's no sign of, of Alan Lang. And I said to Carl, what was that name you said? Frederick O. Lang. Because Fred, uh, Alan Lang's name was actually Frederick Alan Lang and they've gone Frederico Lange. And so, ah, oh, it is Al. So we go down. First of all, we... We try and wake up Steve, who's unconscious on the bed. Steve the drunk. Steve the drunk. And he's and he's in his just in his jocks, which is very unusual because every other night for the for the last week and a half, he was always unconscious in his fully fully clothed. They didn't have a shower in the morning. But this time he's actually in his jocks. So we wake him up. Where's Al? He said, I don't I put him in a cab. So that must have been, you know, just before I left. I, I missed him. And um Okay, so we don't know where he is. So we, we, we go down to the manager, we we start. But Steve realises he's got no clothes. He's there, and he's, but his clothes are missing. So he goes down, he starts arguing with the with the uh, <laughs> owner of the hotel about where, who's someone stolen my clothes. He said, ah, you know, I want to call the police because you broke into another room. So when he got into the wrong room, whole family asleep, <laughs> Steve the drunk in his in his box and burst into the room. So that's caused a bit of a fracas. So this is we're trying to get through all of this. He's wanting to ring the police about the broken door. And uh, Steve's wanting to ring the police because all his clothes, which uh, his wallet with about three thousand euro and it's missing. But it's all in broken English. Anyway, one of the teams is sitting there, the Magnaflex team, and uh, had a couple of Swedes on there, including uh, Magnus Backstead, who spoke perfectly. He's like an Aussie. He's been out here with Stuart O'Grady. So he says, Johnny, you got problems. So he comes over and starts doing all the translation. Well, it's so funny. So Tim, the vet, he's getting very upset because he can't handle the, 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 the pressure. So he goes for a walk over on the beach. He comes back about five minutes later with his bundle of clothes and the wallet that Steve – so he'd come back. It was a pretty warm night, stripped off, gone for a swim, come walked out, forgot his clothes, <laughs> left on the beach. Well, he was apologising, offering money to the uh, hotel owner. So then we jump in the car and we drive – to to the hospitals. One hospital serves us all of those towns. We have to drive about 15K or something. As we pull up at the, ho the hospital, we get a call from the hotel telling us Langy's turned up. And uh, so we drive back and he's got a great big cut on his head and he obviously fell out of the cab. I don't know what happened to him because then he still had all his money and everything. And his nickname was the Riddler, Al. Oh, yeah. And that was one riddle. Uh, he, he left us about... You know, four or five years ago now, maybe less, three or four years ago. But um, that was one riddle that never, ever got answered. We never no. found out what actually happened to him on that day. And he had the, the, <laughs> the bandages on the whole rest of the Giro. looked like a mummy, didn't he? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you found, but you yeah. found Steve the drunk's clothes, so that, that's a good thing. We found Steve and, and his wallet. And, and there's, a, uh, there's an Italian yeah. family that um, is still scarred from that experience. <laughs> Steve the drunk bursting in at four in the morning. <laughs> jocks. Yeah. All right, boys. Prediction time. Scotty, you're on fire. Who do you like um, in this one? Wide open. 
Well, you know, Visconti's interesting with, with Jack Hay. Visconti was uh, second on the stage up to Mount Etna in the early breakaway. It does look like it's, you know, all these guys, except for Wilco, Wilco Kelderman, um, I don't think they'd let him get in the break. I so. can't see why he's in there because they're not going to nah. let him go in the break. He's a GC contender. Well, you don't yeah. have to bet on him. Let him know. No, that's very true. That's very true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, with Fugslang and that. So they're talking about if the race comes back together and then the GC guys, uh, um, you know, go for it. But then if that was the case, you'd have Nibbly up there, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the descent into the finish. So, look, yeah. maybe it's Thomas yeah. DeGent is the kind of guy um, I think might be a favourite from a breakaway group. It does look like it's a breakaway kind of stage. The gaps are big enough, as we heard from uh, from Whitey as well. Um, look, special note, though, that's not on, on there, but um, Jai Hindley is the highest-placed Australian now. He's in 13th after the Mount Etna stage, so riding for mm-hmm. Sunweb, the young Western Australian, so good ride by him. He's only 1.29 off the lead. But that has him only 34 seconds from Vincenzo Nibali, who is now the, the, the race favourite. So to sit that close to the big favourite after a big mountain stage, you know, he's a guy. Let's see what he can do tonight with the climb and keep himself in the mix. Um, and uh, Chris Harper from Adelaide, he is the highest placed rider from Yumbo Visma. We saw how strong they were at the Tour de France. And you've got mm. this uh, South Australian fellow that is he's four minutes down, but... Um, in 28th place, the highest place of Visma. So haven't they had a bit of a turnaround, that team, since um, since the Tour de France? Oh, is Kruzevike behind him, is he? Uh, no, actually, Kruzevike must be in front of him. Where's he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yep, yep. yep. Forget what I just said. Don't worry about that. But Jack Hague, <laughs> Jack Hague at eight minutes, 30 down. He's far enough behind to maybe get in the break. Ben O'Connor is another one, another Aussie for NTT that could get in the break. He's at 8.07. Might be given a bit of leeway. Uh, but the gaps for some of these guys aren't that big for them to just let them go for sure. You know, there will have to be some some controlling back in the peloton. And we still don't know which team that's going to do that. Trek Frodo is probably the team that has to start controlling the peloton. But there's not a lot of depth in sort of these teams now. So the, the GC guys are going well, but there's not a lot of depth and domestics in these teams. It's going to be really interesting. Mm. Yeah. Who do you think, Kiffy? Who is your tip? I, 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 well, it's a shame that he's second favourite, but uh, I, I like Jack. Hey, I think uh, we heard from Whitey, he's really going to have a go at getting in the break. Mm. And uh, if they get a really good, strong break, gets a big gap, he's a bit... Sports it, director, Matt. There. Whoop, sorry, I pressed the wrong button. I went to press the stage profile. Sorry. <laughs> uh, that's the one. Yeah, so yeah that, that's a major climb. So if he gets in a good break there, a uh, big chance he can uh, um, get away from them in the, in the, in the final parts of that uh, long climb and uh, scoot away or solo win. It'd be fantastic. Yeah, the yeah, climb is a- the uh, Valizio di Monte Scura. Mm. That's classic the classic pronunciation. Yeah. And, and um, well, it's, it's Mileto. The stage is 225 k's, two, by the way, guys. Um, yeah. And Camellia Tello Silano is the Finnish town. Um, yeah, 225 k's, bit of a, a saw blade, that, isn't it? That's nasty. Yeah. It's, it's just, as I've as I said before, like, I'm just not a big fan of these monster long stages where, you know, you got to factor in the transfers. Like, that would just put me in such a stink because, you know, you'd be up editing till 2, 3 in the morning. You've got to be on the road at 7.30. You've got a long transfer after that. Like, you know, you, day five. Suck it, like, up, oh. Suck it up, Dan. Yeah, well, that's why I'm not, that's why I'm not there anymore. I yeah, well, hey, you're, you're, worried any about, you're worried about Whitey. You're worried about your job when you're there. You're worried about Whitey as a DS. Um, when do the riders get some compassion? Oh, well, yeah, them too. Them? No, yeah, them, them too. 
knock off 70 k's off that stage. Just chop it three a quarter off at the start. You'll get the same result. Right. You will get the same result. Yeah. Um, a flag that I heard, I, I noticed from, from Whitey, he said that he had swordfish. That's what they had the night before Etna. Um, oh. And, and uh, Simon Yates had a shocker. And you actually said on the show the next day, maybe it was the swordfish. Um, mm. Well, they had swordfish again last night. So let's see what um, how uh, Yatesy goes today. The, the worst, the worst um, seafood I ever had was at the Vuelta. I remember it was deep fried. It just looked like a bit of flake, and I ate it, and it was like real rubbery. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? And then I looked at it again, and it was um, stingray, and that was it. Like dry reaching, like never <laughs> mentally got over the the experience of eating stingray. It was shocking. You never but, got over Steve Irwin's death. I think that's no, what, probably no. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. Good show, boys. Uh, we'll be back again at seven thirty tomorrow night, and hopefully, the swordfish does not derail Jack Hayes' chances of a stage win in stage number five. We'll see you then. Okay. This is the winning.